Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, you're very welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Hi, Karen. Hi. Hello there, all. I've made myself, I'm okay, but I have made myself a resolution for this week's pods. Okay. A, new, a new week's resolution, if that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. I might need you two to help me stick to it, though, because I might get a rush. We're here head. for you, all. Uh, I need to make sure that if any of our guests uses an analogy to illustrate a point that they're making over the next few days that I just I leave the analogy alone I don't go chasing the dragon here I don't mm. follow up on it Yeah. if you're a World Service member you probably already know what I'm talking about Paulie Malnagy last Wednesday mm. remember Paulie Kenny charmed us all with his exuberance yeah. and his detailed tactical analysis as to why Conor McGregor hasn't got a hope of beating Floyd Mayweather but then it got a little weird if you put the tiger in the ocean against the shark the tiger has no chance. It's the you take the shark out and you put it in the in the wilderness against the tiger. The, the shark is out of its element. Obviously, he's going to die within moments. This sort of reminds me of a tiger versus a shark. It's two adept destroyers in their own world, but you're only fighting in the world of one of them. Okay, well, to continue that analogy, if McGregor's the tiger, surely if he practices in the sea long enough, he can suddenly start taking on the shark. Can you make a tiger swim? for six months in the sea and really fight a shark or will it just be a better swimmer? That's probably a fair point. Yeah, 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 Polly, but I have been reading up a little bit since this exchange last week and that tiger isn't totally out of its element, believe it or not, Ken. According to National Geographic <coughs> for Kids, my go-to <laughs> Bible for this kind of thing, unlike most felines, uh, the headline for this was Tigers are splashy or something like that. Unlike most okay. felines, many tigers enjoy swimming. They take dips in rivers to cool off when it's hot. These wild-for-water cats have been known to paddle five miles through bodies of water. And I've read even further, Ken. Uh-huh. HowStuffWorks.com went real upmarket. Right. And I've seen the, refi- the figure there reported as 18 miles. Apparently through rivers, through open waters, a tiger has been reported as swimming nine miles. Through river waters, 18 miles. So I got to thinking, you know, maybe a few months of training, they could challenge the shark in the water. Owen, you're amazing. Well, thank you. Well, Owen... Uh, I don't know if I've spoken about it before on this show, but I once swam 26 miles across the English Channel. 
What, can you believe when you forced him to talk about this? He hates talking about it. He did it for charity, but I mean, when you know, I whatever. It doesn't matter. You swam matter. across the English Channel by, well, well, by I, yourself. Well, I swam, I swam one-fifth of 26 miles. Oh. Uh, Broken up into several parts. The other members of my team slash family <clears throat> uh, swam the other uh, legs, yeah. um, which is a huge distance at sea. You know, the cold, the dark, enveloping waves. Huge distance. I mean, I would say I'm at home in the water around but I still wouldn't back myself against a shark. When it comes down to it, uh, 18 miles this tiger has swum, it doesn't really match up to spending your whole life swimming through water. Don't get caught up in this analogy. Jaws was on after uh, the Sunday Mm -hmm. game last night. I don't know if you saw much of it. What was on? Jaws, it was on directly after the Sunday game last night. Does it age well? Why are we talking about Well, quite clearly. Probably try and get us off the rather boring Tiger Shark plan. Uh, listen, on. I'm not going to tell you how to run your show. If you want to hear more from Paulie Malinagi, you can get onto secondcaptains.com, become a beloved World Service member for a five or a month plus fat. Among our guests this week coming, we're going to have Roscoe manager Kevin McStay in here. If you promise me Kevin McStay, uh, he's going to join us to address some of the criticism leveled at him this year as he prepares his team for the Connacht Championship. They're one of the more interesting counties. No need to... You can see it jumping in at the microphone. We can pick it up a little bit further when we have them in uh, tomorrow. All going well. We're going to be talking today about the dubs. Sorry, Ken, the hurting dubs. I know you uh-huh. don't have quite the same level of faith in these guys. And unfortunately, they don't seem to have the passion for it themselves. They were kind of dismantled by uh, by Galway at the weekend. They could have done with the support of Pudzer O'Toole and <laughs> yeah. Sausages O'Mahony. They could have done with a couple of them. Hit the music, Mark. Yeah, no. <laughs> on, on the bench maybe. Do. The front page of yesterday's Sun Independent Sports section featured a fairly detailed story about an unnamed inter-county footballer who failed a drugs test last year. The Kerry County Committee, they responded, you're probably aware of the basis of this already, but there is more news on it today. So yesterday, the Kerry County Board came out and said, yeah, the footballer in question was one of our players, Brendan O'Sullivan. They said that the rule violation was not intentional, that Sport Ireland had accepted this and that the suspension has already been served, which is kind of interesting on a a couple of levels. But judging by some of the reaction, I kind of got the sense, Murph, that a lot of GA fans were happy enough, would have been happy enough to leave it at that. It wasn't intentional. The guy has been named now. That's that's kind of it done. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it's often the reaction when you hear something that you don't want to hear, minimize it and then put it to the back of your mind and forget about it as quickly as you can. And that appears to be the attitude amongst a lot of people in the GA towards doping, which I don't think anyone thinks is a major problem in the game. But that doesn't mean you minimize the news news like what we read on the front page of Sunday Independent yesterday. Quite the opposite, in fact. It's easier to get riled up when you're looking at the Russians and whoever else. And I'm not comparing this particular case to that, but it's when the when it's closer to home, maybe it's a little bit more uncomfortable. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's it's, it's a lot easier to be anti-doping when you can point to the other mm. and say, well, of course, there's doping in sport and we know exactly who dopes and they, they are, you know, the East Germans in the 1980s or the Russians or whoever. I mean, it makes you feel better about yourself because you can say, right, doping exists. We know why doping exists, but there's no way that anyone we know or anyone we'd have ever met would dope because... Come on, you know, I've, I've met them or, you know, whatever. We got a lot more detail on this story today, just in the last few hours, although not all the questions have been answered by this statement from Sport Ireland this afternoon. In response to public comment made by the Kerry County Board and in the media, Sport Ireland can confirm that the Irish Sport Anti-Doping Disciplinary Panel has sanctioned Mr Brendan O'Sullivan for the commission of an anti-doping rule violation. So it goes on to explain that he received a 21-week ban for testing positive for the stimulant MHA, to give it its abbreviated name. He was tested after the league final on 24th of April last year, subsequently 
banned for the well eventually for 21 weeks but what happened here is he admitted he, t- he had committed an anti-doping rule violation Sport Ireland accepted that it was a contaminated product case that he bore no significant fault or negligence and so they reduced the applicable sanction to seven months that's from a maximum of four years you can technically you can get a four year ban for failing a, an anti-doping test so the original ban seven months he refused to accept that call he went to the GAA anti-doping committee that was the next stage they imposed a six month suspension after hearing on the 13th of February this year so he appealed this decision to the Irish Sport anti-doping disciplinary panel and that's where the 21 week ban came from that came through on March 30th, 30th of this year so he ended up with was that a 5 month ban essentially 21 weeks uh, there thereabouts he served 11 weeks of this ban already last year from the 13th of May 2016 to the 28th of July 2016 before that provisional suspension was lifted the chair of the disciplinary panel lifted that because the violation was likely to have involved a contaminated product at that stage the remaining 10 weeks of the ban commenced on the 26th of February 2017 the date of his last participation in the Kerry panel, which means it's been free to play now most of this month, really. Uh, May yeah, from 8th. the 6th of May, yeah. Uh, from the 6th of May, I should say there. So that's just bringing it up to speed a little bit. John Green is sports editor of the Sunday Independent and he broke the story. Hi, John. Thanks very much for making it in. Okay. And um, we've got Mike Quirk waiting in Kerry. As always, Mike, how are you? Hey, guys. All good? We might start, first of all, John, by explaining from what we understand what this MHA substance is and does. Well, it's a, it's a stimulant that's found in... Um, Dietary supplements. Uh, we think that it was in a gel that he took. Uh, it's been banned for some time in sport. Uh, the most famous case that we know of is the Jamaican sprint relay team from 2008, which lost its medal retrospectively, and Usain Bolt had his medal stripped from him because one of the sprinters that day tested positive for that. Mm. So it is banned, I think, for, for best on 20 years. It's understood that it gives you uh, an energy boost. Now... This has been going on a long time, this case, and the first anyone heard of it publicly was in your paper yesterday. Are you any clearer, given the the hoops that seem to have been jumped through here, as to why this has taken so long and why we hadn't heard about it until yesterday? I'm not hugely clear on no. why. No, I, I don't understand. The I mean, he he's ended up serving a ban of 21 weeks, which he served in two different lots of 11 weeks and 10 weeks, and... If he had accepted his original ban of seven months, he would have been back playing sooner by the, just working out the dates in my head. Mm. I can't understand why it has taken so much for... Even last week when, when I was pursuing the story and finding it difficult to get answers to it, how it, it doesn't make sense to me how you don't get out in front of this. The identity of the player and the county aren't that relevant, really, other than the fact that somebody took something. It seems very clear that it was taken in all innocence and that there has been no blame ascribed to this person so there is no harm done his reputation has not suffered so why not come out in front of this and explain to people that there's something out there what is it what did he take so that others don't fall foul of the same uh, test that he fell foul of yeah it's almost as if uh, the exact detail of what he took and how he took it does suggest uh you know, an innocent mistake made by uh, a GA player. Everything that's happened since then casts it in a far murkier light, and that, like, that's the that's the really damaging thing from the player's point of view. I would say, and from the GA's point of view, the messaging of how this has been handled has just been completely botched from. from that's absolutely one. right. This guy has tested positive after the league final in April 2016. Everything points to the fact that it was uh, an innocent mistake on his part. Everything that ha- has happened since then is saying the exact opposite. Uh, and 
You know, there was some criticism of, of him being named publicly yesterday, and it wasn't it wasn't us that named him. Uh, we chose not to, but the Kerry County Board named him. And as I said, I don't think his reputation or, or he he personally has suffered any. People will be, I'm sure will be feeling very sorry for him. But everything that's happened since he tested positive by everybody else in the system, I think, has let him down and has let other players down. Because did he take this in isolation? Did other players take it? When did they find out what it was? What steps were taken to make sure that nobody else in Kerry or in any other county took something? These are the questions that we have now, and this is the worry that we have now. Well, these are the kind of questions that presumably get answered by this reasoned decision that we're going to get at some point. Would you, would you accept that that's the reason that we haven't heard anything until now, that they haven't got all their ducks in a row before revealing the news? Well, two things strike me about that. Why is it taking so long for this reasoned t- decision to, to be published? I mean, it's now 13 months since the t- test was taken. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that I got a statement from Sport Ireland on Friday night when I was pursuing the story and getting it ready for a pr- publication on Sunday, saying that they would not be commenting any further until after the reasoned decision was published. Today they've given a very detailed statement, just uh, 72 hours later. So saying that the reasoned decision is the reason why they haven't pu- given any further information doesn't wash anymore because they have given a lot of detail today. I think based on the fact, as they say themselves, once the Kerry County Board spoke out and named the player, they felt that that meant then that then they could go and do it. It certainly seems to be the inference. Yeah, even the Kerry County Board, I mean, you know, I first contacted them on Friday for for a statement and, you know, they released it on Sunday when the story came out, which made no sense to me. And they also dated the, the, the press release the previous day, which, again, I didn't understand you know the old saying in this business, when you're explaining, you're losing. This could have been handled totally different. And if there hadn't have been a story in the Sunday Independent uh, yesterday, w- when would we have heard about this? In the 2018 doping report? Yeah. Mike Quirk, what's your take on all this? It's a, it's, a, it's a confusing kind of a story, to be honest. I mean, <clears throat> and, and I'm no expert in, in this field, but just from, from my reading even of the statement and, and, and from what I'm hearing kind of on the ground, the, the MHA wasn't that he, he hadn't taken, you know, a, a vial of MHA. The, the MHA was, uh, from, from my understanding of it, that was the contaminant that was found in, in whatever else he was that was yeah. after taking that was something normal. So, so I, I think that was the kind of, that's the, that, that, that's the distinction on that one. That that MHA was the was the and that's why they've been so lenient. I am assuming that this was the small contaminant that they found in whatever he did take. Um, I can't understand why the Kerry County Board made a statement yesterday or, or Sunday and 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 named the player. I mean, in 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 the article, you know, in John's article in the, in the Independent, you know, I, I, if I'm correct, you didn't mention Kerry. You didn't mention the player's name. Um, I mean, I, I assume what Kerry were trying to do, what Brendan Sullivan was trying to do, was wait until this final report comes out from the, the, the anti-doping disciplinary panel. Uh, and with their findings, I assume they, they thought maybe the guy was going to be exonerated or something or, or that the, the thing was going to be quashed in total and didn't make a statement after that. Uh, that's that's the only assumption I can make as to as to why it took so long for it to come out. But I don't think the onus, and this isn't protecting the Kerry County Board because I, I, I think they were completely in error yesterday even making a statement but I don't think the owner should be on the county boards <clears throat> to come out and name their players and say you know 
you know, this guy's after testing positive after this game or this guy's after... I, I think if it's going to be something that's done by Sporting Ireland, it needs to be <clears throat> a regulated process that everybody knows the steps that are in place. And it should be, they're the guys, they're the arbiters of, of what we're talking about, of doping in sport. And it shouldn't be down to individual county boards to, to be releasing statements that... And, and no matter what, what, you know, John says there about, you know, and I, I think everybody accepts that it's probably been a, an error on his part to take something. It wasn't some some systematic doping that was going on by the by the Kerry County Board. But at the same time, mud mud sticks, and as soon as his name came out and, and it was splashed across every kind of social media outlet and, and with the headline of, of, you know, positive tests or whatever it is, you know, that's, that makes it tougher for this guy to, to operate his normal life and go around his, his normal business. And, you know, maybe maybe that's what they were trying to do, hoping that this thing would just get, get quashed by the disciplinary panel and it all go away. But it's obviously after our blowing up in a way that they hadn't expected, you know? Yeah, well, Colin, O'Shea, Colin Parkinson, I should say, he says it's grossly unfair that a player is named in this case. He doesn't think amateur players should be subjected to this kind of focus for a simple mistake. Tomas O'Shea Tomas said game. something similar last yeah, night. Yeah, I welcome testing, but implica- he, he talked about how stand-up, how this man is a stand-up guy and a great part of the panel and all that kind of stuff but he says I welcome testing but implications for players on a personal level on a professional level I think it's too great the GA, the GPA should reconsider allowing their players to be scrutinised like this well I think you know I think if you if you were to ask uh, any of the high performance athletes or uh, rugby players or even club rugby players uh, the, I don't think the amateur argument holds any sway whatsoever I mean for a start uh, the GA is a publicly funded organisation which does receive millions from, from the government every year and part of the condition of those that money is that it signs up to the International Anti-Doping Code and that is that is how it should be. Yeah. That yeah, uh, These are honest. the standards that are applied to public money but also, and I'm assuming that player in this case is no different, the players themselves are in receipt of, of uh, you know, a fairly generous grant from the Sport Ireland as well and this testing regime is also part of the conditions of receiving that money. Yeah, and I, but I also, and the money thing is is absolutely valid and uh, relevant to this case. But I don't think there should be doping in the GA and a government grant. That doesn't matter to me. I mean, no. the the GA has a responsibility to ensure that what we watch all summer is sport as we know it without without doping. I mean, the the alternative is that we turn a blind eye to it. And what are we actually saying then? Are we saying that we're okay with doping in, in the GA, doping in, in Gaelic football and hurling? Of course we're not. So I think the, the, like the money is relevant, but beyond that, there shouldn't be doping in sport. And they can't say that we're absolutely for testing. We're just, we're just against negative results. In general, yes, of course, we're in favour of drug testing, but don't name anyone and don't catch anyone. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's, you know, uh, talking out of both sides of your mouth. Mike? Like, I have a big problem. <laughs> I have a big problem with the drug drug testing procedure in the GA. And and, and my, my take has always... And this, this and you can look back at what I said about Th- Thomas Connolly last year in, in Mon, and, and it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm staying consistent, and it's not because of the identity of the player or what county he's from. My, my thing with the, with the, with the doping in, in the GA is I think you're more likely to catch the uneducated... Uh, as opposed to the doper, I, I don't think there's a huge prevalence of of, of you know performance enhancing drug taking in the GA. Certainly not in in my experience of it. But I think there is a huge lack of of education and awareness of of what GA players can do and and should be doing in terms of the support and education they receive from the medical teams and different things. Like when you're talking about you know full time rugby stuff or, or Olympic stuff, who have that support structure of 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 medics. Like we we you're talking about a team doctor a physio 
physio and, and Kerry have a nutritionist for the last couple of years. Um, like, I, I, I just, I think you're more likely to catch a guy who makes a mistake as opposed to catching a guy who actually knows what he's doing and is taking and, and is taking drugs. I mean, I was tested about four times over over the course of whatever it was, maybe ten years, um, three three after games and one out of competition, one in Fitzgerald Stadium, and it was it was at that stage it was all urine sample stuff uh, and and. I never in my life even looked at a tablet that I wasn't supposed to take. But yet, I went into every one of those things, fearful of, of what was going to come in case of, did I take did I take something, a Nurofen Plus instead of a Nurofen, and am I going to test positive? And if I do, the repercussions for me, as an amateur guy going around my job, is is serious, you know, and, and, and it leaves a stain on you for the rest of your life, even though it could well, like Brendan O'Sullivan's case, have been totally innocuous and totally innocently taken. The repercussions are fairly severe uh, for guys who are playing a kind of a game that's that's whether we like to think it or not is is a hobby and is a pastime and uh, I, I'm just not sure that the standards that we're setting in terms of drug testing you know match what we're providing for them in education and, and, and awareness of what they can and should be taking I can I can guarantee you that there was there were athletes who represented Ireland in in recent Olympics who do not have the same resources or backroom teams or advice or nutrition nutritional help that teams operating in the higher echelon of the GA and I'd include club teams at the higher echelon of the GA are, are getting um, I agree with you about the education thing which is why I make the point about we've missed a glorious opportunity for the last 12 months to educate players about this and I'll say it again I don't personally think there was a need for, for this particular player to be identified publicly we didn't do it and as you rightly say Mike it was it was Kerry who chose to do it in a sort of a you know a, a cack-handed way, really, the way it was done, and in terms of I, I know as quite recently, in fact, Una May was in contact with the GA again, but she said it she has said it publicly before that she does not believe that there is a problem, a doping culture or anything like that in the GA. I think nobody does believe that, but I think anyone who who who's into fitness and who goes to a gym in Ireland at the moment or who's running or doing any cycling, the, the level of awareness about supplements in, among people in Ireland now is incredible and the amount of stuff that's out there. So we need to do everything we can to help not just Gaelic players, and, and her, but, but everybody because as a society we have decided that we don't want these things in, in our kids, in, our, in, our, in ourselves. That's the decision that we've taken as a society and it's a hard fight uh, to, to win and sometimes people are going to get caught up in that. And I think Brendan O'Sullivan is a classic example of somebody who's got caught up in it. Yeah, and Mikey, like, I, I understand where you're coming from, but, you know, not everyone is Mike Quirk. Like, not everyone is uh, absolutely happy to say, right, well, I know what I've, I've done. I know what I, can, what, I, what I need to do to get into peak fitness. Like, GA players, like, we can't sit here and say that GA players won't cheat. Like, there's no way that we can say that with any degree of certainty so there has to be a safeguard in place and yes education can be better but at the same time we still need to test players to ensure that they're not doping I mean I don't think I I can't say with any certainty that that there isn't doping in the GA I mean I like I see what these players do I mean I see the physical condition they get themselves into I see how important it is to, to them in their lives and I don't see anything that I don't see you know that that you don't see in uh, in the Olympics or in other top class sports. I like I see the opportunity to dope and get a lot better fast in the GA, and I don't think that we can just hold our hands up and say, "Well, we wouldn't do it because you know we're Irish or whatever." 
and 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 Murph, I'm not I'm not suggesting that we don't we don't we don't uh, drug test in the GA. I'm not suggesting that for a second. But what I'm what I'm saying is, if we if we are going to hold players to those standards, then then the standards of the support that they get in terms of the education, like education is a, is a massive part of this, lads. And and like you look at Thomas Connolly last year, that that case was the guy was kind of after brought into the panel late. I know he probably had something in him, you know, more than more than this Bruno Sullivan case. But at the same time, he he had received absolutely nothing in terms of, you know, a bit of support in terms of what he could take or what he couldn't take. Uh, and, and and like that, that, that was a prime example, I thought, that, that we are really, really just kind of chasing our tail a little bit with this thing, that we, we show up, when the drug testers show up down at Fitzgerald Stadium, there's a bit of panic, they pick out three or four numbers, you go in, you have to, you know, do your thing and, and you do all the stuff and you go away. And and it's kind of a bit on a wing and a prayer and, and, and GA stuff. Now, unless it's after improving dramatically in the last couple of years, that was always the way it has been. And and I, I just think it's too significant, too serious for players now to, to return a positive test, not to have some kind of a formal structure in place through, for, through Coaching Ireland or, or Sports Ireland or whoever it is, or the GA themselves, to actually to educate guys in a, in a better way to what is acceptable and what is not acceptable putting their bodies because no like you you can you can say that there's there's the great medical backup in the top counties in Ireland like it, it's 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 there lads but it's not it's not what you think it is like it's not it's not like you have a doctor on call here 24/7 to ring him and talk about stuff we never had that kind of a thing in Kerry um and and it's just i i think it's it's something that we need to do to be fair to the players because we're asking an awful lot of them putting them in this kind of a scenario where they've they've nothing to gain but they've everything to lose really uh, by by returning a positive test and and if we're going to do that then we need to give them as much help as we can to make sure that we don't have you know, false positives are, are positives in this way, if you want to call them that. You make an interesting point there. I'd be wondering, I'm wondering what you might think of this. Are we asking too much of our players? Are, they, are the standards that we expect of them physically, forget about the, the stimulants and all that, but are, are we asking physically too much of amateur players in the level of conditioning we're expecting them to reach now? I mean, when the, when the game went to 70 minutes, I mean, 60 minutes was a long game. 70 minutes is, is 20 minutes shy of a soccer game, you know. And soccer is played for an awful lot of it at, at a much slower pace with the ball out of play a lot longer than it is in Gaelic football, you know, with the, the, the dynamism we're talking about in that game. Now, we're putting huge physical demands on, on, on amateur players and everything is going up and up and up. And, and you know, I, it's not unreasonable to suggest, Morph, that I'm sure there's probably guys you know, a handful of guys maybe out of the 32 counties that are probably on something they shouldn't be and they're probably hoping that they don't get caught. You know, laws of logic would suggest there probably is. But I, I would still strongly suggest that the vast majority of these guys are, are not deliberately engaging in any in any kind of doping but are still at, at, at risk of getting caught for a positive because they're not still sure exactly of what they should be doing. Yeah, it is the same for, you think of uh, an Irish canoeist or something going to the Olympic Games, to, to give an example, they get a lot less of the glory of sport, actually. You know, they don't nobody, nobody knows who they are for large parts compared to, say, a big-name GA player. And yet they go, and if they test positive, particularly at a big moment in their careers, it's a huge deal for them. So it kind of goes to what you were saying earlier on, Murph, that the, I think the GA occupies a slightly weird space in this doping argument that, it likes to be considered a top-level sport in pretty much every way, but it seems to be what you're saying, Mike, that they shouldn't be necessarily subjected to this sort of scrutiny that goes along with that. 
And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I know you're saying there should be testing, but you're also saying that it, you'd be. You'd, it's unfair on players who aren't deliberately doping, but get caught up in this sort of a way to to face public scrutiny. But that's the same in any of these sports that are affiliated to Sport Ireland. Yeah, and and can I just on the you know, and I, I'm not sure was it John that mentioned it a second ago when this came in was it was it around, I think it was around 2002 2003 when when this came in first of all this agreement yeah 2002 and, yeah. And, was it 2002? Yeah. And and all all of the players at that time, we we and I, and this is only a very insignificant issue, but all of the players at that time received a a grant uh, specifically for for being a part of of coming under the umbrella of, of Sporting Ireland. Now, I, I, it wasn't anything hugely you know significant in terms of money, but it was it was a kind of um, you know it was a little sweetener to say, look lads, you're coming in here now and we're bringing in drug testing. Um, you mightn't get caught in your whole you know for a test. I mean, you mightn't get caught for for a year, three years five years but there's a couple of hundred quid there every year that that money very quickly dried up now and again this is only a very side issue but as far as i'm aware none of these players now are receiving any any grant um you know funding from from sports ireland in terms of being a part of this drug testing procedure uh, it was there at the start but it, it, it very quickly dried up and and your more your, your point um on is, is 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 dead on man it's it's like if you're if you're going to be somebody who's going to the olympics and and who's not going to have the same kind of backup as as potentially maybe a dublin or a, or a Kerry or somebody and you do let yourself open and you get caught then then it's the exact same thing you're you're going to get nailed and you're going to get hammered but at the same time, their their potential for earnings. If you come home from the Olympics with a gold medal, or you come home from somebody somewhere else with a with a with a big win, a big medal around your neck, suddenly no, you're 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 somebody who has a huge potential for making an awful lot more money than than this guy who's number twenty four on the on the Wexford senior football. Panel. Well, yeah, but hold, but hold on, if you're if you're comparing it to the guy who's number twenty four on the Wexford senior football panel, then as an Olympic athlete, you're well, you're not going to make it to the Olympics. You know, you're like the guys are any anyone who's going to make big money based on winning the Olympic Games are the very top guys. So I don't think it's a an accurate comparison. Well, but but we 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 had, we had a couple of guys from Skibbereen who who are after turning into into international celebrities after after coming home with a couple of medals. You know, Brendan O'Sullivan was number 26 or 27 on a Kerry panel. You know, like the, the football every footballer in Ireland in in, in every county that you're, that are that are that are a part of this drug testing procedure are are in danger of 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 either through negligence or through through or a lack of education on what they should be taking are at risk of, of, of bringing back a positive sample and all, and all I'm saying is if we're if you're really serious about holding guys and we are obviously because we're still engaged in it if we're talking about holding guys to these standards I'm saying there needs to be a huge shift from, from Sports Ireland and the GEA to bring out a program that actually regularly skills and educates these guys about the supplements and everything else they can take. Like you go into any gym in Ireland now, and John made the point a second ago, there's tubs of creatine, there's tubs of protein, there's tubs of everything, and, and, and you use the words there's an awareness of supplements. I, I would I would argue that there is absolutely no awareness of supplements. I, I would argue that everybody is using supplements, but they have no idea what they're putting into their body. Yeah, they don't the know where they were manufactured or, or what, what contaminants are inside. That, that's what I meant, Mike, that, the, that there's just an awareness that there are supplements down there that will enhance your physique 
physique or enhance your fitness. Uh, but, but I they wasn't have necessarily no idea. saying that they know what's in them. They just yeah, know exactly. what they do. And that's the problem. That's the problem. They have no idea what's actually inside them, where they've been made. You know, anything anything that, that a Kerry or a Dublin or any other top county are taking, their nutritionist or their doctor will send them off and have them batch tested and they'll come back as a gold standard stuff that they're absolutely clean of any contaminant and you're safe to use them. And and most counties or most top athletes would, would use that kind of a setup uh, where they send them off to, to a lab to have them tested. You know, and, and it's just the other stuff that you buy over a counter, you, you have a headache and you take a Nurofen Plus instead of a Nurofen, suddenly now you're in a grey area and you're, you're at risk of doing something. So I, I, I know it sounds simple and boring, lads, but it, we, we'll have less positive tests in Ireland if, 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 if they roll out some kind of a proper procedure where everybody gets the same education across the board. Well, Sport Ireland, at the end of the statement today, they say that they advise athletes there are no guarantees that any supplement is safe, in brackets, free from prohibited substances. If an athlete chooses to consume a supplement, Sport Ireland recommends they seek advice from a sports dietitian and follow Sport Ireland's risk minimisation guidelines. And then there's a link to some of the, the guidelines there, John. So is that not, would Sport Ireland not argue, that's already in place? We do tell, we, we do give people the, the broad advice? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're on an inter-county panel, uh, you know that there are everything you take that there's a risk to it. I think uh, I I would imagine from county to county the level of help that's there for you varies depending on the wealth or the profile of the county. But uh, I just want to go back on one thing. Just to be fair to the GA, I do know that uh, that most recent deal with the GPA, whatever it's six million, is it a year or whatever it is, that there is built into that uh, a nutrition cost for players. So it has been factored in. I, I think it may be down to individual counties as to whether they implement it or how they implement it, but it, it is in theory being factored into the deal which starts this year. Mm. Um, I did a I did a, a just a, an event last year and I had a headache beforehand and just out of curiosity I went into the advice centre in, in in the event in it was in Lanesborough in Langford and uh, said I had a headache and I wanted to take tablets and what could I take and like they just downloaded the app on my phone and I had bought tablets and I put the tablets into the phone and it told me I couldn't take them. Right. So I went back to the chemist and I got different ones. So, and I know from talking to Sport Ireland before and I go to their, their the public their launch of their anti-doping report every year and the same thing comes out about the app. The app is, is an incredible tool that anybody can have at their fingertips. You can type anything product into it and pretty much get an, get an answer back straight away. We're a much more intelligent society in terms of our interaction with stuff like that. We're, we have the means there on an individual basis to, you know, we can't always allow just this group think that, oh, somebody didn't tell me. It's, it's, it's out there. The information is there. You can find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK, well, I hope that's one of the lessons being learned uh, after this mess this week. John Green, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Mike Quirk, thanks very much. Though. OK, guys. And he is my second captain. Second Probably worth pointing out that Sport Ireland are generally recognised as doing a good job in their anti-doping testing. As John pointed out in his piece yesterday, spent almost 1.8 million last year on the anti-doping programme, 
which, as he says, is internationally recognised for its vigilance. And often talking to athletes, you do get the impression that their frustration often is that people in athletes in other bigger countries don't get tested as often as they do. So that's all kind of taken as read that they are doing some good stuff. But in this case, like clearly there's there have been mistakes and there's been at the minimum an issue with transparency here. The bottom line, as we've been talking about, is that a player fails a drugs test, finishes serving his ban, and what are we, two and a half months later is the first we hear of anything. Uh, which, yeah, yeah, it's I, just I, a me- it yeah, doesn't really serve. Is, yeah. It's just completely all over the place, really. Um, uh, that clarity helps the person who has failed a drugs test as well, even though it might be difficult for people to see it that way. There was a lot of Arsene Wenger talk today, Ken. There was Francesco Totti talk today in the football podcast also, but mm. I believe there's more Wenger talk since we went off air. Well, there's an interview. Do you go th- off air from a podcast since we recorded the podcast? Yeah, you do, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure of the terminology. Uh, Tony Adams uh, speaking to Donald McRae in the Guardian. Interesting interview. Um, he uh, Tony Adams is promoting a new book at the moment called Sober, uh, and he talks a little bit about um, you know uh, some some per- some personal stuff. Talks about a, an episode of depression he had last year when he was in China and so on. But he talks a lot about Arsenal. And uh, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, he's it's stuff that Arsenal, Tony Adams and Arsenal Wenger have fallen out, uh, as you won't be surprised if you heard Tony Adams uh, say uh, Arsenal Wenger couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag a few weeks back, while also promoting this book. Now, apparently, Wenger then cancelled a, a book signing uh, that Adams was due to do at the Emirates. And they don't talk anymore. They used to text each other a good bit, but uh, that's all stopped. Um, where uh, Tony Adams is like, look, you know, when I said you couldn't coach your way out of a paper bag, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't trying to be, you know, I was just kind of being honest. Like, you know, you're a great, you're a great uh, physiologist, you're a great economist, you're a great psychologist. You're not the best coach I've ever had. You know? Yeah. But as a manager, you're great. Um, but he then says a few things which I think are going to intensify this feud. I don't know if this is going to be the oil and troubled waters that Tony Adams was seems to, at various points, hope it's <laughs> going to be. Uh, the couple of things that he says uh, are, number one, I think this is probably the most annoying thing from um, from Wenger's point of view. Uh, I mean, well, well, number one, rather, to start with the less annoying thing from Wenger's point of view, he, he, he says that Wenger kept him out of the club for because he was too stronger character basically that he was too big a figure in the history of Arsenal and that Arsene Wenger deliberately kept him out of of roles with Arsenal uh, because he obviously felt that or in Adams's opinion anyway felt that Adams would have been a threat to him um you know he says he's a dictator the board don't do anything Wenger runs the whole show but uh the sort of it's it's almost the throwaway or comment from Adams um but he's, you know, he's saying the board do nothing. Arsenal has a free reign. He's earning them so much money he can do what he wants, and I don't think he can let go. It's an addiction. He's also got a weird relationship with money, says Tony <laughs> Adams. He's on eight million a year, but Arsenal's junior coaches are on thirty grand. Chelsea's coaches are on ninety thousand. Take seven million, Arsene, and give them all a raise. <laughs> uh, it's not like he's using the money to throw lavish parties for friends because he hasn't got none. He's only got a few guys in France. I feel a bit sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> Money-hungry, friendless. Miser. Creature. Lonely miser, Arsene Wenger, with his eight-minute-year salary, his 30 grand coaches. That is 
That's the thirtieth olive branch I've ever oh. I've ever come across in my entire life. It's a grim. It's it's a fairly grim thing as well because because Wenger one of his. Things one of his kind of themes that he likes to refer to again and again is we at Arsenal have a more hmm, how would you say socialist approach to the wages and and they they have the they, rather than having super players earning you know Zlatan money Arsenal try to have everyone earning what about if we all earned seventy grand or eighty grand and maybe Mesut and Alexi got twice that uh, how, how's that. Is everyone okay with that? You know, we we all kind of get paid close to the same. But evidently, this doesn't apply on the coaching staff, where you've got a difference, a differential of eight million to thirty thousand uh, between two members of the same staff. I mean, that's bigger than David Beckham's differential to his LA Galaxy teammates. You know, so uh, it's a bit embarrassing. I'm sure it causes a bit of resentment in Arsenal, and I'm one hundred percent sure that Arsene Wenger will not appreciate Tony Adams talking about it in The Guardian. Murphy were in Tullamore yesterday. I was indeed. It was a quick mention of Galway because we're going to ignore them entirely while <laughs> talking Dublin with Michael Dagnan now in just a second. Yeah, loads, uh, loads of mistakes, loads of wides and two goals and 28 points, which... Uh, <laughs> Lots of potential. Yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, I mean, it is It is pretty uh, pretty strange that goal just... They're capable of creating chances all over the field just because they're so big and so powerful that they, they end up racking up these huge tallies for chances created. And even even from the league final, it was clear that they were using the ball a lot better. I don't think uh, any of their half-back line actually hit a wide yesterday until very late on. I think Pork Manion hit, a, hit a, a late wide. But the use of the ball was so much better even than we had seen against Tipperary in the league final. The intensity wasn't anywhere close to where it, it was in the league final. And they've, you know, as a result, it was by no means as, as impressive a performance as that. But it is kind of encouraging from their perspective to see that they're learning from the mistakes they made in the league final and doing something about it and bringing that to to championship. The real story is Dublin, though, of the team that made an All-Ireland quarter-final against Tip three seasons ago. They only had two of those players in the starting team yesterday amid all sorts of talk of my favourite GA cliche, trouble in the camp. Michael Dignan, all those absentees, I guess, meant that they certainly looked as though they just had a chronic lack of leaders there yesterday. They were a bit of a rabble at times. I was at the match in Tullamore yesterday and, you know, it was really set up perfect, lovely weather, fourteen over 14,000 in the crowd, great atmosphere beforehand, but um, unfortunately, look, it wasn't, it was, it was a mismatch really from, from the start. Um, Galway completely dominated and uh, they were needing second gear really for a lot of it. Now, there's other issues that we might get into later about, you know, a few decisions went against Dublin, that type of thing, but in reality, um, Galway were far too strong for Dublin and I think that experience you mentioned is, was a massive, you know, you could see the difference, the leaders on the Galway team throughout, whereas uh, Dublin were lacking that sort of experience and leadership, particularly up front, you know, long puckouts coming down and they were losing them one after the other and, you know, there was no direction in the forward line at all. But, yeah, it is a big issue and it's something I've spoken about in the, <clears throat> over the last month or two is, you know, as far as I would be concerned as a player, when when I, I suppose, was lucky enough to have a little bit of talent and a bit of ability at 18, sort of, got, I came straight out of minor onto the Offaly panel and it was like a life a lifelong ambition, you know, fulfilled and I wanted to be in there then from then until for as long as I could and I was lucky to be there for 15 years after that. You know, it, it was the way times were. I didn't really care who the manager was to an extent. I don't mean that we had some very good managers and we had some maybe that weren't as good but, you know, I would have learned something from them all but as far as I was concerned, you know, I was an awfully hurler, I had an awfully jersey and I was going to have it for as long. I loved playing for Offaly, I loved, I loved being involved and uh, it was my whole life for that 15 years and I've made that point uh, even to my own young lads who were who were playing now, they're nineteen and sixteen, and they're fair, they're, you know, they're, they're playing a little bit of underage and that type of thing with Affleck. But I'm just, I would have said to them, look, you have to be prepared to 
sort of put everything else in your life on hold. This has to be, if you, if you want to make it as a senior inter-county player, you have to be prepared to give that sort of commitment and, and be a county hurler. And, you know, so I don't understand to one extent why the Dublin players won't go in, regardless of if there's gripes with the management. But at the same time, it, it's I do I, I don't in one way and I do in another because I think times have changed and, you know, the probably the man management side of the game is is far more important um, than it used to be. You know, young lads are different. They have a lot more maybe going on. A lot of them are in college. They have a lot of other issues. There's a lot of training. You know, it's it's, it's a probably a bigger commitment than it ever was. And if the things aren't right and if they don't feel right, they're not prepared to put up with it. So it's it's probably somewhere in the middle. You know, you, you hear people arguing both sides that are making their. You know, I would be in the camp that. You know, I think if you're good enough and if you have that ability, that you should go and do it regardless. But uh, you know, I think there are probably there, there's probably lads out there that are saying we're not we're not prepared to do it if it's not if it's not the type of camp that we want if we don't feel it's as good as it could be. And and you're following Anthony Daly there, Joe Cunningham following. You know, one of these guys that just has that charisma and that presence um, that Dale has. Um, I met him after the match yesterday for for a few pints with Joe Dooley and Johnny Dooley and Dahi Regan and like the crack we had there for a couple of hours and plenty of 95 and 98 stuff and all that, you know, and he's just one of these infectious personalities and it was always going to be hard for Jared Cunningham to follow him, but for whatever reason, all these lads aren't there and if they were there, you're looking at a serious Dublin team. You know, we saw Kula with, with the shooters who are serious men um, and uh, and Daryl O'Connell and uh, that's only to mention a few, Danny Sutcliffe's out in America. Um, all of a sudden, uh, you put in four or five of those lads in around the players that are there and you have a different team. The players wanted themselves. I, I know. I understand the point about Daly about trying to follow a manager like that. But by the end of it with Daly, it seems as though the players, from what we understand, were happy enough to move on. They and they wanted a fresh voice and they wanted Cunningham to work out. So it wasn't as though there's, it's a situation where a, a county board gets rid of a manager against the, the wishes of the players. All the, the groundswell of support seemed to be there for this guy to work out. It just hasn't happened. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, like Delo had probably brought him to, you know, to within a puck of the ball, getting to an Ireland final in 13, and they had won the league, they had won the Leicester Championship, and, you know, probably he had served his time at that stage. Uh, and the world, and, and initially, you know, I, I think it was Michael Carton initially um, was quoted as saying, you know, Jerry saying all the right things, and it was along those lines, and, um, you know, with, but within 12 months or 18 months, Michael Carton was gone, who was a guy that really was passionate about Dublin Hurling, a player I had a huge regard for. I thought he was a very underrated, fantastic county hurler. And he completely, um, you know, he left the camp and, and he left with a, with a flurry, I suppose, to be fair to say. And uh, he was very scared of the setup and of the, of, uh, he called it toxic, uh, what was going on in the camp, which when somebody like Michael Carton, who's not, in my opinion, I don't know the guy at all, but just watching him playing and watching the way he played himself, he comes from a, a died in the wool GA Dublin hurling family. Uh, you know, it's, there's something not right when you hear that sort of language being used, and and um, so it's it's a mess for whatever reason. And I just think you know, I know John Cunningham for many years as a uh, as a person, and he's a lovely guy. I've you know always enjoyed his company. Uh, met him in West Cork on a number of occasions, and Holly's a lovely man. Um, but for whatever reason, and and we've talked, we've seen this last year with Anthony Cunningham. Uh, who's a decent guy? Galway players just did, it was it was over from uh, Noel Keneally and and Pat Holmes again very decent Mayo men who had given their lives to Mayo players didn't want him and when you're time, when when you're not wanted no matter what the, st- the story is if you lose the dressing room that's it so um, you know you just wonder maybe would Gerald Cunningham better off to have you know sensed this and gone earlier you know because there's another year gone now for Dublin hurlers and it, they're only you know they're just going to play out this year and the management's going to be changed again whoever it is that comes in next then. Uh, Matty Kenny probably being the favourite now after guiding Kula to the All-Ireland. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the Mayo and Galway examples uh, over the last couple of years as well, because what we saw in the aftermath of players taking action and saying, right, this, this is wrong for us, this is, uh, to use Michael Carton's phrase, toxic for us, uh, and got rid of their managers. So players obviously get hammered, absolutely hammered, when something like that happens. But then the the alternative would appear to me to be, right, well, I'm not going to commit to something half-arsed. You know, I'm I'm not going to just go into training, you know, twice a week and, you know, go through the motions of playing for Dublin. I'm just not going to play for Dublin at all. And then they get hammered for that as well. It kind of seems like players can't do right for doing wrong in a situation like that. <laughs> well, you see, that's what, that's what I suppose the, where the conflict is. I, I, I would say Noel Keneally and Pat Holmes and Anthony Cunningham or John Cunningham wouldn't say they were doing things half-arsed in the, in the camps that they were really, like, say things were pretty pretty well organised. Oh, the, the players, I mean, rather. You know, like the yeah, players no, who are being semi-committed to something and, you know, going through the motions but not actually believing that they were yeah. on the right track anywhere. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 look, I, I'm using them as a, so as a general example. I think these situations are probably different. Like, Anthony Cunningham had been in the Ireland final at the ball away from winning Ireland uh, with Galway. His, you know, he was right there at the top of the Galway performance, very close to the top of their game. But there was a heave there against them. Uh, the players felt there was another gear there, and they were putting it down to management. So, you know, that uh, and Mayo are the same. They're very close. Like Dublin are a different at, at a different stage. Uh, I would think. And um, you know, I, I, it's only a private thing, but I, I think you know the old Cork Dublin. Uh, Geographical divide, the old, you know, the history there. I don't know if that if that is an issue there. You know that um, that there's there's that sort of maybe rivalry, the two big cities, and Gerald Cunningham coming up from Cork, and the fit wasn't just maybe right from the start, and um, uh, it it hasn't worked out. And 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 Gerald Cunningham is supposed to be a very good coach, and I just think maybe managing and coaching are two, and, they, and I, I don't think it. I know they're two completely different. Uh, Jobs and two different skills completely, and uh, just because um, you know you're a good you're 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 a good coach doesn't mean necessarily you'll make a good manager. And as I said that if, if you're not prepared nowadays from a, at any age group, and I trained our own young lads I've mentioned before just to win a minor last year. But the most important thing there, the lads had you, you developed their skills a lot of when they're younger. But I just found even at that age, at sort of 16, 17, 18, that that one on one, that spending a bit of time with lads, that chatting with them, uh, I, I never really would have spoke to our lads in a group, or never would have criticised any of the lads in front of anybody else, because you got much more out of them and the improvement in them and their confidence by just talking to them and spending a bit of time with them. And you know, obviously it's different in the club scenario. You know, all the families and all that type of thing as well. But you know, you you have to be, I think, very mindful of all that. And and if you don't do that, um, I remember Bernard Finn, who was in the news this week for other reasons, but I remember Bernard telling me when he was called onto the Mead panel uh, for the first time. Uh, he was called. He trained on a Tuesday night, Reverend. And I think the Thursday or Friday he went home after work to have his dinner with the mother and father. He was living at home at the time, and Sean Bylan was in the kitchen having the dinner with them. And uh, you know that, and that was it. So he recognised Bernard Flynn as a man he wanted for a long number of years, a key man. And here he was getting to know his family and being part of that. And you know that, like, uh, I wouldn't have seen anything to that extent with with, with with any of our managers. But like, that's that's probably thirty odd years ago now. And uh, and Bylan was there, and he was building that sort of. Uh, yeah. rapport with the family and everything else uh, Well having talked to one of the players who's no longer involved it appears like that that communication skills are pretty much non-existent that you know that coaching is always going to be of a high standard at inter-county level you know that's you know the, that's a given so yes. the, nearly the man management skills are the most important thing of all and that appears to be where, where Cunningham is, is falling down I mean like when hearing what's wrong in the camp you know, it all kind of seems a little petty nearly, but it all adds up. I mean, it's a cumulative effect, basically, of just things being missed, conversations not being had, meetings not being had, and that adds up to maybe what we saw yesterday. 
I don't have evidence of that, but that seems to be the case. Like, just as an example, Mark Shooter has gone into the football panel. I don't know these guys very well, but I do know where they come from. And they're passionate people, and they, they love hurling. And, you know, they're steeped in it, and Vinny and Mick and PJ all played for Dublin. And th- this is the lineage you're talking about here now. These, are not, these aren't lads that made this decision easily, or made this call easily. So you have to respect that. Michael Carton, I mentioned earlier, you know, family again steeped in Dublin hurling. So I think you have to respect that. And I just think, you know, it's probably been let go too long. Like this has been going on. How long are we talking about this now? Look, Jerry's time for whatever reason is up. And you feel sorry then for the young, like very young squad there yesterday and a lot of young lads in there that that, that would benefit so much. Uh, like Donald Burke there yesterday being pitted against Dahi Burke. Like Donald Burke's only 19, a fantastic young hurler. But you need a Mark Shooter there and Donald Burke beside him. And then you have a different dynamic there. You know what I mean? You have a man and uh, an experienced, hard man that's able for the likes of Dahi Burke. And then you give Donald Burke a bit of room to play off him. And all of a sudden, you have a different dynamic. And that's only one example. So um, it is hard. And these young lads want to play for Dublin and they're in there. So um, they probably feel disappointed by these lads that aren't there now as well. And So that'll have to be mended as well down the road. So these, these things would leave a taste because the guys that are there are saying, we're doing this for Dublin Hurling. We don't care who's in charge. Uh, whereas the other guys are making the calls saying we want more than what's here so uh, that'll have to be mended as well so it's not going to be as simple as somebody else just coming in and waving a magic wand it's going to take time to rebuild I think you know the, that sort of bond in the camp Conor McKeown in the Evening Herald last week Michael you probably saw the graphic that he did up uh, did, did a bit of a spread on the 15 players that Dublin are missing well it's more than 15 I guess but the, the team that could be made up of guys who could be in there and a lot of a lot of people reading are looking at it thinking geez, that's 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 the t- team that would beat the team that are actually going out to represent them in the, the championship. First, that's the first thing I said myself. Yeah, yeah, which none of which just I, I think goes to what you just said there. That can't be good for. There's nothing wrong with it journalistically, but it can't be good for the players who are in the team when that, there's no doubt they're hearing that people are saying this about them. Yeah, and you know, I th- I think when the players like whenever this change of management is made, I think all all these players that are capable of being on that Dublin squad and to sit down together, like they'd want to have a look now and say, look, we have an opportunity here, like. Dublin hurling 10 years ago was given no hope and so much work has gone into it, so, so much of a blueprint for, for Dublin hurling. Um, I remember sitting down with John Costello before Anthony Daly got the Dublin job and they were chatting to me about it and was he, would it be interested or whatever and at the time Edel, uh, got my late wife now was, was sick with cancer and whatever and I couldn't, I couldn't give the commitment at the time and I just was fierce impressed with John Costello's sort of understanding of Hurling and the game. I would have, would have, wouldn't have known him. But Dublin would be seen as very much a football county. His own son, obviously, Cormac, is with the footballers and he's a very good hurler. But John Costello, you know, he was very passionate about improving Dublin Hurling, getting them to the best, and about what they were trying to do, coaching in the clubs, in the schools, everything. And they built on that, and they won the Leinster, and they won the league, and they won the Leinster Championship. And you know, they, there is an opportunity here. This the, Hurling at the moment, there's six or seven or eight teams which we've talked about that are all building fine squads um, that I think over the next five to ten years we're going to have the 90s again with all these teams that could beat each other, that can beat each other on given days, that can win all Ireland's. And Dublin should be up there with the quality of underage players they've had and with that sort of quality. When you look at that team that Conor McKeown picked, plus the lads that are there yesterday, you mix and match that those lads in and put them out. They're, they're, they're a t- they should be properly prepared and properly motivated. Um up there with the very best teams in the country. And and this opportunity can pass very, very quickly. If if the slide starts, Dublin start getting hammered, lads don't commit, all of a sudden they're back to where they were 10 or 15 years ago and all the work that's done has gone out the window. Yeah. All right, we'll see what happens with it. Michael, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, lads. Good luck. Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists, Clive Woodward, statisticians, dietitians, and as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us.
I can't quite get that image of Sean Boylan sitting in Bernard Flynn's family kitchen talking into a few spuds. Eating Bernard's head. spuds, presumably. Would that impress you again? If you were a budding mead superstar footballer back in the day? For the great Sean... I know a true dub such as yourself struggles to cope with an image like You'd that. You'd run Sean Boylan out in a rail, Ken. If the great Proper Sean Boylan came to my house and ate potatoes... Well, to show you that... So that he was there when you arrived back eating with your family to show you how much he felt that you... That he backed you to be part of his team. What? Sorry, I've been out of the house. Yeah. I arrived back. And Sean Boylan's there eating potatoes. Sitting there with my family. Is your team manager eating potatoes? Why would Why would that be good? To, because they, you know then that I'm his guy. He wouldn't be sitting here stealing my spuds. If, Is he trying to take my place? Well, you know, he's your manager. No, but in What's the he doing, man, What's he the doing here? Yeah, well... I mean, why, I think it's probably a fair what's question. What's Boylan doing here? Why, why couldn't he call over when, when I was here? If he knocked on the door and asked for me and I wasn't there, why did he come in and eat with my family? Why <laughs> does he Boylan, wait? You know, when Sean Boylan knocks on your front door, Ken, you don't, I mean, I'm talking from Bernard Flynn's parents' point of well, view. Well, it's it. I mean, it you don't stand on ceremony. You invite the man in. Yeah, he's just using his status to, to, to get Had his foot in the door <laughs> and, and to come in and to talk about God knows what. And then, and I'm not even there. I, I, don't, I wouldn't like it, Owen. I'd, I'd like my manager to be upfront with me. I'd like, I'd like <laughs> straightforward, face-to-face no, communication. No back channels. No, I don't want a secret back channel. Massive shout-out today to our favourite little guy, Simon Hick, who's at home recovering from his cruciate operation. Still working, obviously. We haven't given him a day off since 2005, but he's recovering. It's his knee, on. Yeah. I mean, it's not a catastrophic brain injury. It's a catastrophic knee injury. Did you see the photo? As a result, he get yes, I, I did see it. Yeah. No, I didn't actually. He tweeted a photo of the injury. Yeah, it's uh, extremely tanned. It's frankly, it's criminal. Ken, that such a beautiful tanned leg is filled with so many staples mm. at the moment. So uh, someone tried to tell me that it was oh, you know, it's the iodine that they put on the wound before they cut him open, but not this leg. They haven't seen that leg every day for <laughs> not this leg. Number not this tiny chicken leg. Not a wrist either, as he uh, later confirmed. It is, in fact, his chicken legs. Does he, is there um, an x-ray or a scan of, of all the damage? Apparently, no. he really messed it. ACL, meniscus, There's and uh, cartilage. There. Successful off, though, so the recovery starts here. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. 